This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Second past the hour of nine o'clock. Um, it's Radio Marinara, the show about all things wet and salty. The station is three triple R. My name is Dr. Beach, and I'm John Ford. And you can tell we have two scientists uh, in the uh, in the room today. Forty seconds past. Oh, sorry, fifty-five seconds past nine. Ah, uh, yeah, fifty-seven, fifty-eight. Uh, it, it, yeah, it, <laughs> it's show. one minute past nine. We have Kent <laughs> panelling. Um, it's an all-boy crew this morning on Radio Marinara. I don't know about woohoo, um, but um. Yeah, you're stuck with us. <laughs> How are you, John? I'm doing very well. Today being Earth Day. Did you know that? I did. I, it I, is I, Earth I, Day I, I today. I had a feeling. Yeah. We all think about Earth. And it's also Penguin Weekend. Earth Day and Penguin Weekend. So, you know. I feel like we should be all over that being Radio Marinara. That Absolutely. It's penguin Weekend. The Earth and Penguin. I yes. wasn't aware of that until Edith was telling me just before. <laughs> but don't worry. We know all about it. And you're going to hear all about it too. So it's all that's all great. You can head down to Phillip Island and there are amazing things on this weekend. There certainly are. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have amazing things on on this show, on this fair show this morning. John, you're going to... Um, the first se- segment, you've got some mixed news. You're going yeah. to catch us up on a few things. Yeah, just catch a few things that have been around. And look, a little bit of focus um, on plastic because Earth Day is... A, f- the focus of Earth Day 2018 is plastic. Um, one of the big focuses of um, Penguin Weekend is also around plastic. And it seems... A friend of comment commented on this morning actually it seems like the talk around plastic has sort of just um replaced talk around climate change and i wonder why maybe because it's something which is more tangible which is something that we feel we can do something about but certainly it is uh, right all over the news about plastic and the, its problems and what we can do about it and we certainly have been talking about a lot on this show mm. but not leaving climate change behind but i'm not going to touch on climate change this morning i think that often i I don't know, at the risk of bringing people down, I talk about the problems and the things we face. So I'm, I'm going to try and stick away from that yep. today. Well, we'll, I will, and, I, and I'll, I'll let you bring us I'll down. I'll touch it on a little bit about shipping and, 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 uh, and, carbon, do- and carbon dioxide emissions, but also I'll talk a little bit about more broadly about the, uh, about the shipping industry around the world and, and flags of convenience and what it actually means. Cool, mm. I look forward yeah. to that. And then, um, and then we're going to have Dr Surf on the blower from... Um, from his fair home down on the peninsula, and he's going to give us the, the Dr. Surf annual wetsuit review. Mm-hmm. So we have people parading in wetsuits on catwalks. Dr. Surf has been there watching them, mm. looking at all the latest... Neo- I, okay, neoprene. Neoprene plastics. Yeah, that yeah. In the ocean. <laughs> we're talking about plastics. Actually, that would be really interesting to know how much neoprene breaks down or um, sheds and maybe he, he might have an idea but you know, being in the water. Because I know certainly um, uh, I did a couple of weeks ago um, a little article on the conversation around uh, our, our swimmers, our togs, our um, bathers, and how they break down, uh, particularly being exposed to UV light. And so the plastic that comes from, you know, the, the Speedos that we wear um, is a real issue and we shouldn't wash them as much as we probably do. 
I've had a pair of speedos for about thirty years, and they're still going. Yeah, but how so, thin are they? They're pretty thin. Yeah, I and think. how they thin? How how transparent are they? Because I, well, I don't <laughs> think they are, but. All the- <laughs> Others might beg to differ, but yeah, let's ask my children who seem to run away from me at the beach. Exactly. Whenever, so they, they probably were a lot thicker and that and that thickness is now in very tiny particles floating around our oceans. That's a worry. It's mm-hmm. a deep worry. Uh, speaking about stuff floating around in our oceans, our last, last segment today, our guest is um, Dr. Justin Chalker from Flinders University and he also will be on the blah from, um, from Adelaide, from the Adelaide area. And Justin... And his group, his research group at Flinders Uni, have just published a paper which was highlighted in um, Le Guardian, in the Guardian um, just this <laughs> week about a new, a new polymer they've developed in the lab which is going to be very useful apparently for cleaning up diesel and oil. Mm. Well, Pete, in, in Adelaide, well, when they start drilling in the Great, in the great Australian Bight, they might need that. They might, yes, yes, mm. indeed. Um, anyway, so, yeah, so we're going to have Justin on the phone and that will be at about quarter to ten for those of you who are particularly interested in listening to that and don't want to listen to Dr. Surf or John so I want to switch off for a while and then come back at or me um, <coughs> no you're not going to do that you're going to stay right with us keep it locked as they say to 102.7 um, yeah so that that's the show yeah yeah what's the day looking like what's the weather if I, if, I, if I want to get out of here if I want to get out of here and hopefully hit some bit of sunshine maybe hit some waves I don't know go for a bit of a drive to the well, beach first, what's this weather going to look like first of all today? you're going to have to deal with a little bit of morning fog uh, cloud generally mm. clearing to a sunny afternoon we've got light winds of around 7 kilometres per hour that is indeed light it's going to be a maximum of 21 today so it's, yeah it could be sunny in the afternoon that would be okay. nice mm. wow tomorrow 28 becoming sunny all right. Well, what's the wind like tomorrow? Because it's been it's been beautiful for boating. Um, those that have boats will know that. I mean, not for sailing, but beautiful for boating. Tomorrow uh, the wind light winds beautiful. Tomorrow the winds will be north northwest, fifteen to twenty kilometres per hour. Yeah, not too uh, bad. Tending north north northeast in the evening. Five mm-hmm. percent chance of rain, less than one millimetre. Tuesday for Anzac Day Eve, twenty six again. So it's going to be quite warm, cloudy. Chance of rain, 60% on Wednesday, Anzac Day itself. So, yes, most of us will have a holiday. It's going to be 21 degrees with a possible shower and then just cooling down slightly towards the end of the week. 19 degrees on Thursday, Friday 19 degrees and Saturday 19 degrees with mm-hmm. very little rain, if any, on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Um, which, Well, except for perhaps Wednesday where we might have between 1 and 5 millimetres. There you go. Well, yes, certainly lovely autumn weather for being out on the water. I will... Absolutely. Oh, God, it's just beautiful, that. isn't it? Yeah, the last mm, couple of days. Really, really nice. Just glorious wandering around the park with the dog doing lovely autumn things, looking at the leaves. Uh, for those of you today who might be heading out on the water, you'll be interested in to know what the tides are doing. So at the heads, uh, we have a low tide of 0.22 metres in just under an hour. So at 9.56am, it's going to be low tide at the heads. Wonderful. Are you heading out on the water later? Doing anything like that, John? Uh, no, I think I'll be going home and doing some gardening. So we're away from the water, unfortunately. But that's all right. It's also a lovely day for that sort of thing. Yeah. All right. We've got a track. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to listen to a bit of Connor Oberst from his self-titled album back in 2008. This is Get Well Cards. Mm-hmm. 
Indeed. John Ford, we listened to Connor Oberst. Yeah, a bit of Connor that. Oberst there with Get Well Cards. And uh, yeah, now we're going to hit a bit of news, I think, and from around the place. And, and today... I'm into news. You're into news. Well, today is Earth Day, as we said. Today is, is Earth Day. Uh, it's not Earth Hour. Earth Hour is obviously when we, we cut off the electricity and so on. Do, right, does Earth Hour still... Do we still... I was about to say celebrate, but do we still practice Earth Hour? Absolutely. Yeah. I think Earth Hour is also, they tend to be picking up more and more of the, the corporate sort of um, cooperation. So a lot of, you know, big buildings in the city will shut their lights down. You know, it's a little bit more, they're trying to go broader with the, in the business community rather than just on the households. Um, the households obviously still participate and it still has meaning in that sense. But, but that was Earth Hour. And this, which I can't remember when that is, but it's not today. Today is Earth Day, which is international um, celebration. I don't think it's a UN thing, but it's a it's sort of a broader um, organization set up for, for Earth Day back in the 70s. Um, set up actually by a, U, um, a US senator, I think it was, back in the day. Um, but just anyway, they focus on something different, you know, a challenge to, to the environment every year. And as, as I mentioned earlier, uh, this year's challenge is that of plastic waste. Um, and obviously that's a, a huge issue in the oceans, as we've talked about both in its sort of large form um, you know creatures eating it um, but also in its small form in the form of microplastics um, so that's and also, but also I, I, I don't know if you were listening to the show last week John but I mentioned a paper which is pointing out the fact that of course all the plastics that we have in the ocean we're all deeply concerned about as we should be at the moment but we're almost forgetting the plastics on the land which is where they come from mm -hmm. and yep. the microplastics that are breaking down in the soil and the fact that all yep. this stuff shit that we see out in the ocean yep. is indeed coming from the land yeah indeed look yeah and that's that's absolutely really important point because uh, the guardian's actually been running guardian australia's been um and, and and in england have been running a series of articles around plastic and plastic pollution uh and they did have sort of a little pictorial if you go on their website um they'll have pictorial of, of a whole lot of beaches <laughs> affected by plastic in australia um and a lot of the, the worst ones are and you know, this is something that I've seen firsthand, are in the north. So they're all along the northern coast and a lot of that plastic is coming from Indonesia, um, which is, yeah, something that um, I talked about a month or two ago when I, when I was um, up north. A lot, and a lot of that, pl plastic, that pl plastic, plastic fishing nets. Fishing nets, just a lot of bottles, just a lot of coming down rivers and that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, they just have population pressure and they just have, they don't have landfill like we do. We, we have the logistics to be able to manage it, um, whereas they don't. So a lot of it just ends up and that is actually the source. And you're absolutely right, is that we talk about it in the oceans, but it's, most of it is coming from from the land, without a doubt, and the rivers delivering it to the ocean. There, mm. I think it's ninety percent of the. It's estimated that ninety percent of the plastic waste that we have in the oceans comes from just ten rivers. Mm. Yeah, around the earth. <laughs> would, would not surprise me. And um, kind of, I, I guess, just carrying on from that with the plastics, I noted this week also that at the um, Choggan meeting that Theresa May is encouraging the entire Commonwealth to perhaps ban plastic straws at least. Mm. Um, so. Was it say plastic straws, drink stirrers, and cotton buns could soon be banned in England as part of a push to slash plastic waste? And Australia is being urged to take action too. Right. Whether we do it, I don't good know. Place, good place to start, at least. I, yes, yeah, it, well, it is a good place to start. I think at home is a good place to start, of course. And I mm. am pleased to see more places where I go, like cafes, for example, that we're having less plastic straws. Not mm. always do you get mm. a plastic straw delivered to you. And just personally, I'd like to see more of that and you know, bring back the anodized aluminium straw or yep. even paper ones, mm -hmm. recyclable ones, but ones that can be reused as mm -hmm. opposed to recycled. Yep. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, and, you know, a lot of those companies doing great things. I mean, they're, it's where the, their ethics and their business are actually coming, you know, actually coming together. But um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of argument for, have, well, say how difficult that can be because really the cost is pushing us towards plastic. And, and that's really what it's about. Plastics were initially made to basically last forever. That was sort of one of the points of plastic of the early Bakelites. They were meant to last a very, very long time. And so the, the engineering behind it, uh, you know, the chemical engineering behind it has been made often to last, not to break down. But now, because it's become so easy to make them, we use them as saying disposable when actually they're initial, you know, they're actually designed to last a long time. So we've got that sort of, you know, that, that is sort of the, I don't know, the, the issue that we're facing up against. Is to, mm. But uh, look, the, uh, I think, don't remember if we've had them on before, but the Tangaroa Association or Tangaroa Blue um, is, is, is based around Australia and they do a lot of really great work um, cleaning up plastic and giving a lot of awareness around plastic, just as Earth Day um, uh, is doing and the Earth Day organisation is doing as well. I just want to mention today they have um, a paddle against plastic, um, uh, I guess, what would you call it? A, um, a workshop gathering um, at the Powerhouse Rowing Club in South Yarra. I think that's actually started. So that was about nine o'clock. But if you can get out on the water and do a cleanup um, around the Yarra River, which um, you know I'm sure everyone would be welcome to come if they can make it at this late later time. But um, if you can get down on the water and do a cleanup, and that, that's from where the Powerhouse Boathouse, yeah, Powerhouse Rowing Club, Powerhouse Rowing Club in South Yarra. Um, so, so where's that near Princess? I'm not entirely sure where that is. Up near Herring Island or something? I'm not sure. I'm not entirely sure. Okay. I'm sure. Those but anyway, no if, if you're interested in doing them. that, then um, I'm sure you could Google the But that's just an example of the, the great events that they do organise. And they've released um, some of the information from um, all of their uh, plastic cleaning events from around the country. And again, this is on the Guardian website. Um, so in 2016 and 2017, they collected over two and a half million uh, pieces of, of garbage from from uh, beaches, basically from, from from beaches or from from the coastline, and unsurprisingly, three quarters of those were plastics. Um, and you can go onto that onto the Guardian, have a look, and you can actually find beaches closer to home and actually find out what the composition was for your particular beach of of interest in terms of where the plastics or you know what kind of problems you have, which is quite interesting um, from a, from a local perspective. If you if you want to get on and have a look at that, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And indeed, we know that um, Neil Blake, our, our baykeeper who we have on this program, regularly is very much involved in those cleanups as well. Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly. So there's a lot of good things happening, but yeah, it does it does start certainly start at, at home from for most of us. And yes, banning those plastic straws would be great. Um, look, I'm going to move on now, though, um, because uh, actually, you know, we'll keep on plastic just for one little bit longer because it is also World Penguin Weekend. And to celebrate World Penguin Weekend down in Phillip Island, where we have those lovely penguins, they are celebrating um, with two days of activities. Obviously, yesterday was one of them, but there is still time if you want to head down to Phillip Island today. Uh, that runs from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., um, um, at the Nobby Centre there. Um, they've got a number of different workshops. Um, the Dolphin Research Institute um, is demonstrating how our home schools and streets are affected by, um, you know, what happens in our homes, schools and streets affect the water and then can affect um, sea life. Um, we've got a lot about plastic in the nature, Phillip Island Nature Park. We show you how to pan for nurdles, nurdles being those little plastic float, um, floaty bits, packaging bits uh, that end up in, in, the, in the water. I've so, always wondered what a nurdle is mm. so that's so 
There's little little round ones, I think. Oh, I mean, okay. They're, they're the, there to, to sort of buffer something. Yeah, when you, when they're kind of like buffering. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's again, nerdle, our baykeeper right. is the man who who's done a lot of nerdle counting. Um, but look, there's some great things, uh, plastic-free um, food products, um, uh, making your own boomerang bags, all this sort of stuff like that. So it's, again, focus, big focus on plastic and on pollution that's going into the, um, into the marine environment. So yeah, if you can head down, if you are around there, I mean, it's not too late, no matter where you are to head down, it goes till four o'clock today. Um, um, do a little stuff around the penguin, take the kids, be a bit of fun. That's yeah. right. Yes. So love the penguin. <laughs> um, look, I'm just going to finish up with some news now around um, the ship, the global shipping industry. Um, so the global shipping industry has been pretty slow when it comes to any action on reducing carbon emissions. Um Unsurprising in the sense that it is a global kind of community and one that is heavily reliant on fossil fuels, and in fact is two point contributes two point two percent of global emissions are from shipping. So that's mostly um, from merchant shipping. So the movement of um, of, the, of our goods around. So all that stuff that we get imported that bring into the ports, um, you know, that costs a lot of diesel to to bring it into. Two point two percent. I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot mm-hmm. here, and I, yep. you probably won't know the answer to this, mm-hmm. but. What does the global aviation industry contribute as far as that? That's concerned? a really good question. I don't know that off the top of my head, but um, yeah, I'm sure you can probably find out pretty I quickly. Could, I could probably well, Google it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, that is an interesting one. And certainly, you know, when you talk about food miles and, and that sort of thing, I mean, it is, um, you know, those those large ships can be reasonably well, more efficient than, say, a truck to move something over long distances without a doubt, doubt because they're moving so much in one go yeah. with all those containers. So, you know, depending on how much you're moving, there is certainly an efficiency um, around and, and ships can be, can be more efficient than other forms. However, that doesn't mean that what what they're doing as in the, the the engines that they have or how they're burning or how they're 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 um they're actually you know how they're actually going through the water is a um is the most efficient and that's what that's where a lot of the improvements are so they're going to um reduce their carbon emissions or they've pledged to reduce their carbon emissions this is from the un sort of shipping agency so across the board by 50 percent by 2050 so that's on 2008 levels so that they want to reduce it by 50 percent and they will do this they intend to do this by having more efficient engines that's, more efficient hull design yep. so it just exactly spears through the water exactly so the way they're going to do this because it's a long-term 2050 goal it's all focusing not on retrofitting the old ships which would be great, but I guess that requires a lot of a lot of money. But the idea is that they're going to be new ships are going to have standards of, as you say, around efficiencies of engines and also around efficiencies of designs. So that's the that's the idea. Whether they can achieve it, another question. Another but, question that you might not know the answer to. But how are we going with paints like anti-fouling paints? Because I know that a lot of the drag that ships hulls mm. face in the water comes from organisms, marine organisms mm-hmm. that have grown there, whether they be seaweeds or whether they be barnacles mm-hmm. in particular or other invertebrates that cause a bumpy rough surface and therefore when the ship is powering its way through the water there's this considerable drag which reduces efficiency and therefore fuel consumption. Mm-hmm. Are there, I, mean, we, I should probably do it, <laughs> some research on this and I'll come back and do a piece, but do you know, is, is that part of this global efficiency drive with the world fishing, with the world... Um, shipping industry to i'm not entirely sure whether that's a big part of it but i mean it's always a really tricky one because the best like anti anti-fouling paints are really noxious are really noxious and a lot of those have been banned in a lot of parts in the world but if that's you true. want to reduce your carbon emissions you want to use the most toxic paints yeah. so there's a bit of a yeah there's a bit of a i don't know an environmental kind of paradox going on there um which is yeah uh, you, you know which one are you 
which one are you wanting? And look, they're designing new ones all the time, but yeah, what, what they continually find is that nothing is as good as some of those really toxic paints, which they yeah, which, which are now chromium and all sorts of heavy metals. Oh yeah, and and yeah, the the tins, tribal tins, all those sort of things. But it's um, but you also find that they you still use widely. They may not meant to be able to say bring them into Australian ports, but you still got you know boats going from from one country to another, which may not have those, you know, moving around yep. you know, the other countries. So, yeah, they're still used um, quite, quite widely around the world regardless. But, um, yeah. But what, what it made, what, what, what um, interested me when I was sort of doing some research for that article was saying that the Marshall Islands, so a small group of islands in, uh, in the Pacific Ocean, were pushing for a bigger, a bigger cut. They wanted a 70 to 100% reduction in, um, in carbon emissions. Um, and I was like, okay, Marshall Islands, that makes sense. They're a small island group probably going to be affected by rising sea levels from climate change. Um, and then I said, oh, but the Marshall Islands are the world's second largest register of ships. Huh. I was like, the Marshall Islands are second largest register? And then it got me into this interesting world around flags of convenience. Yeah. So it's this, so if you own a boat, you buy the, the law of the sea, the shipping, shipping, shipping laws, you have to register it somewhere. It doesn't have to be registered in your country. It can be registered in any countries. In other countries, so fifty percent of the world's um, ships, so merchant ships, so all those large container ships and so on, are registered as a flag of convenience. So in a in a country other than where they operate, and so the largest one is Panama, and as often you say, but Panama flagged ship. Yep. The Marshall Islands is another one, um, and so you've got other um, other crazy ones. Well, what, what are the advantages to registering a ship in Panama, for example? Well, or the, or the, this uh, is so. If you can think of all like the really the dodgiest reasons, the um, the most disappointing reasons why someone would would want to um, register example, it in somewhere, less regulations, less registration costs. Yeah. So um, basically, you reduce safety requirements, so you don't yep. need to. Um, you reduce environmental standards. Um, and so in, we come to fuel efficiency, say, or engine efficiency, right? There might be standards in Australia that you might need to, need to meet, but not in Panama, right? And so safety standards, no, maybe not. Yeah. Um, so working conditions are a really big one. Um, wages are another one. So you, you basically, um, you, you, the boat then, no matter where it operates, um, has to work under the laws of that country. So if you have a, a country such as Panama, which has very, very low wages and working conditions and also that, in Panama, in particular, you can you can use um, uh, overseas labour. So there's no there's no constraints on you know you don't have to use Panama people. You can be anywhere in the world. Right. Uh, we also pay no income tax on uh, on or any taxes on that boat, and regulations are lower. So all the like the worst kind of capitalist reasons you can think of doing something uh, of you know of registering yes. a ship in a in a country that you know they, they register in Peru for, for God's sake, which you know you know it's basically landlocked, but um, not quite. But you know it's sort of you know it's just you know, places yeah. like that, Mongolia, you know, they can register a ship in Mongolia. Uh, it's just, you know, th these are the reasons they do it. And so it's, it's pretty disappointing, uh, really. But um, one little bit of uh, a tidbit of information, the, the first flag of convenience was in 1922 when uh, US ships were flagged to Panama so they could consume alcohol during the prohibition. <laughs> nice one. So that's where it all started. <laughs> Pretty cool. <laughs> but, but you said the Marshall Islands are lobbying mm. for a much greater, a, a, mm. a bigger target in, in fuel reduction. Yes. So in the Marshall Islands, registering your ship there, mm -hmm. is that, so as it is for Panama, you said mm. there were you know, kind of similar, dodgy, kind of similar things, yeah. but, but it's nevertheless good that the Marshall Islands are lobbying for this. 
No, oh no, it's it's great in in that sense. Yeah, that the Marshall Islands are, are, are trying to you know reduce carbon emissions. Um, but you know, th- that said, you know, more globally on a um, you know, th- there's some there's some real issues with with that whole thing. It's a it's a race to the bottom when it comes to flag of convenience, really. Okay. All right. Mm. John, thank you very much for that no um, wrap up on, on various <laughs> different things. But if you've ever seen a ship there which says Panama or we had a Marshall Islands here, you know, why would a ship from the Marshall Islands? It's probably, no, it probably has been to the Marshall Islands, but very, very infrequently. It certainly does not based in those countries. Mm. I have wondered that about Panama, mm. especially as I go down to the docks being a, you know, a ship spotter. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I still want to get out on a pilot boat with those ships. Yeah. Cool. I need to. Um, so if there are any pilots out there, give Dr. Beach a call. Yeah, that's and, right. And invite him. We can do a cross. Yeah, that'd be do a live cross. Radio oh. Marinara from inside one of those or, pilot or just streaming across yeah. the bay. I, I keep banging on about that. I should do something <laughs> about it. Uh, we're going to listen to some music now and then come back with the, um, the Dr. Surf annual wetsuit review. <laughs> G'day, John Clark here. When I want to learn about all things wet and salty, which is a pretty much constant desire on my part, I tune into Radio Marinara Sunday mornings at 9am on 102.73 Triple R. That's where you are, Radio Marinara 102.73 Triple R. Uh, we talked about plastics. My name's Dr Beach and I'm joined in the studio by John Ford and Kent, our fair panellist, and much more. He ain't just no panellist, that Kent. Um, <laughs> I, we were talking about plastics before and just before we go to Dr Surf, who's hanging there on tenterhooks on the phone at the Peninsula, I've had a message from um, our Neil Blake, Neil Blake, the, um, the baykeeper, correcting me that nurdles are plastic pre-production pellets that are shipped in bulk to manufacturing plants to be moulded into everyday consumer items. So they're not, as I thought, the packaging things in a box, but they are from... The stuff that goes to make all sorts of other things. So if a sh- container goes down with one of those, it's bad news. It's like the raw material. Yeah, it's the yeah. raw material. Mm. Speaking of raw, um, Dr. Surf, how are you this morning? I'm not raw. You're not raw? You're not nude? <laughs> no, I'm sitting here on the couch with my two dogs looking at the fog. <laughs> that's, that's a lovely image. Mm. But I am closed and I have Ugg boots on. So I'm maintaining the surfy mode. Good. Mm. Does does neoprene count as clothes in your in your world? Like yeah, a, it, yeah does. it does. Okay, it yeah. Does. Mm-hmm. I have been known to think when I get a new wetsuit, it sort of pushes all the fat in. So I, it, it's very tempting to wear it at all times. Mm. Yeah, and, and black is black is slimming, right? Black it is. is black is slimming. Yeah. It's a lot more slimmy than lycra. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> Not that I've ever tried it, but I've observed it. <laughs> not a good look, you cyclists. Uh, no, not a good look at all. Better, better look than my 30-year-old Speedos, though, before we talking about before. <laughs> which, uh, which are now mostly in the ocean. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to think about that on a Sunday morning. You don't have to. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm going to start off with a little surf report, and thank you for reading out my, my succinct surf report from last week. Oh, yeah, it was... It, um, it, going off or it was a, yeah, an adjective was, in the middle and, of it yeah well that i think that abbreviation was fairly nice it wasn't what you thought but anyway <laughs> it's the opposite today it's very small and it's a bit windy and really it's not very tempting at all um you could get a wave if you went down west a very small wave on those beaches like janjuk be quite good and maybe 13th maybe the other side of 
Anglesey, even though they're the worst beach breaks in the world, but we won't go there. So not not as good this week. Not uh, as good. So, small, yeah, small and variable winds, but anyway. So good, good, good to sit on the couch with the dogs instead mm. and listen to mm. Radio 3 Triple R. So the, and the next thing I'll move on to is the news. There's a couple of... Well, I suppose the biggest news in the surf world this week was that the Margaret River competition was cancelled due to shark attacks, mm. which um, is, is the first time in my memory that surf competition's been cancelled and um, it actually brings into doubt whether they will continue to run that competition Mm. Um, when you've got a couple of people being bitten by one or maybe two big white sharks and you've got some of the world's best surfers in the water it it becomes a bit of an OH&S issue and even I'm I'm uh, going to agree with that and usually I just wear thongs to work but (laughs) it's so I'm not an OHS guy, but if you've got guys in the water and they're getting bitten by sharks, I think it's time to look for somewhere else to have your surf competition. So that that was quite big news. Mm-hmm. So, so can, I, can I just ask a little bit more about that? Was it all about the sharks and the danger? I, I read a couple of things about it and someone seemed to suggest that there were other motives at play. No, look, I, I'm not going to go conspiracy theories. I think the fact that there were two shark attacks within... A couple of kilometres of the surf venue, yeah. And sharks do tend to swim around a bit. I think that that they and, and look, I think they did the right thing. They just have to be sure that um, something bad didn't happen, like what nearly happened to Mick Mick Fanning in South Africa. And there was a big whale ago. stranding down in the southwest. There was, and, 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 and look, think... we've had we've had whales down here, and there's no doubt that if you've got a putrid whale on the beach, the sharks are going to come in. That's right, yeah. And um, so, yeah, I think they did the right thing. But that's not the first time it's happened over that side of the country, and it will probably happen again. So we'll wait and see whether they continue to run that, that comp. Okay, at Marks, as they call it. Yeah, Marks. Marks. Max, Max. Mm. Hey, Surf, can I anyway. get you to talk into the phone a little bit better? It's not just me listening. What? There's a few other people listening as well, <laughs> and just so that we can all I don't all know hear. how to talk into phones. All right, <laughs> okay. All right, pretend, that? Pre- that, that's much better, yeah. yeah. I might even go outside. <laughs> we've, got very, we've got very bad... Um, that's perfect, um, right now. <laughs> all right, I'll just stand here with my arm in the air and my leg up. Good. That? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, a couple of quick things before we move on to the wet set review. Um, there's a couple of big fundraisers that are being um, uh, down here that are in the works. The first one is to raise money for the Fight MND Neil Danaher Foundation, I'm sure we're all aware of, and it's going to be part of the Big Freeze, which is Melbourne versus Collingwood at the MCG on the 11th of June. Um, Trigger Brothers have got together with the AFL and they've made boards in club colours and they're currently getting signed by all players and coaches and they will be auctioned around that time. Okay. I remember that happening last year. There was, there was some, So this is becoming an annual event? Well, we've done it before to raise money for the Disabled Surfers Association. Right. That was a couple of years ago, but this time it's, it's for Neil Danaher's okay. fight MND. So... So that's something to look forward to. I'll have more information about that in the future. And just quickly before we move on, um, 
last year we ran a competition called the, the DSA Mornington Peninsula Championships, and we're going to be running that again the Saturday after Cup Day. And if you think about a surf competition, think completely the opposite. This is a, just a big joke, basically. It's a lot of fun. People wear, comp, wear costumes and it's a tag team event and you get extra uh, um, marks for riding stupid surfboards. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, um, keep, keep uh, listening and I'll give you some more information. Uh, we're doing that in conjunction with the Malediction board, Longboarders. Okay. Nice. So... So if I, like if I put a, say, I don't know, uh, a t- uh, toilet seat or toilet bowl on my surfboard and was to ride it sitting on the toilet, would that be, would that get me good, good marks? That would give you huge marks. Huge marks, okay, right. That yeah. is an idea for people out there. Yeah, so, no, yeah, no. it's a team event. You, you need to get four people together <laughs> in a team. Um, we've had, we've got, we had some great costumes last year, so we're looking forward to that again greatly. Nice. And John with his bog board. Yeah, yeah, the bog board. Yeah. It'd be hard to get it, you know, it'd be pretty top heavy there. Yeah, anyway. I'm, we'll I'm interested in, in how you'd paddle it out. Yeah, I know. Oh, it'd be anyway. pretty flat. Anyway, so, <laughs> wet, wet, wet suit review. Everyone's out there waiting. They've been, they've been hanging on the radio for three quarters now waiting for Dr. Surf's annual wet okay. suit review. Well, first of all, I'm going to go very basic here because I know there's a lot of people that listening in that don't know the basics of wetsuits and, and I help out at a surf shop on the weekends and, and people do get a bit confused. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is thickness. Okay, you've got four and, minutes. Okay. <laughs> you'll get you'll get things like three, two, four, three, five, four. They just refer to how thick the, the neoprene is and the, and the higher the number, the thicker it is, the, the warmer it is. Roger. Next thing you're going to be asked is do you want a back zip or a chest zip or no zip? Now, Basically, that's about how easy it is to get in and out of the wetsuit and also how easy it is to paddle. So if you get a chest zip or a nose zip, they're hard to get in and out of, but they're easier to paddle in. So you've got to make that decision. They're also a little bit warmer because the back zips let, let in more water. Mm-hmm. Next, next thing you're going to be asked is, do you want taped seams? So tape seems with a little strip of neoprene on the inside and sometimes also on the outside of the wetsuit. They stop water getting in. They're going to cost you a bit more, but they're going to keep you a lot warmer. Mm -hmm. So I always go for tape seams. Now, what are you going to pay? Well, actually, let's go to another one. Heated vests. You can get these that have a little battery and, and they warm up your torso. Now, they're actually quite expensive. The question is, do you need them? Take it from me, no. Okay, all right. don't need them. So you don't need the electric blanket type of wetsuit? No, not down here. It's just not cold enough. So what you're looking at is, is in prices, is anything from about $300, and we're talking about a full wetsuit here, long arms, long legs, between $300 and, say, $850. So you get what you pay for. The top of the line range is, these are the Rip Curl, um, uh, O'Neill, Patagonia. They're between $750 and $850 for the full works. In other words, the hamburger with the lot. You're going to have tape seams, a 4-3. It won't leak. It'll last you three four, five years, so you get what you pay for. But there's some other brands that are coming on the market now that, that if you don't want to pay that money, are worth looking at. And one of them is called Visla 
C-I-S-S-L-A. Yeah. They're from England, of all places. <laughs> you can get a good wetsuit from them for $400, which is, you know, reasonable money. And I know people who've got them, and they, they swear by them. Another, and, and just finishing up, the last one to think about is that you can now buy wetsuits online, so you don't have to go to a shop. And they're, re- they're very cheap, and they're reasonably good quality. So if you don't want to spend your $800, you can get, for example, there's a, a group called Need Essentials down in Torquay. They sell wetsuits online. They guarantee that they'll get to you within 24 hours. You can get a 5-4 um, steamer fully taped with hood for $300. So that's my wetsuit review. Can I just ask you one very quick question, and we're going to hang up on you soon, but you, you, t- you interviewed someone who was, and I forget his name, who was into recy- using, using most, mostly recycled materials for wetsuits. Are they coming more on board now? Can people buy those? Um, you can buy, not recycled materials, but you can buy them from Patagonia where they actually, the neoprene or the neoprene substitute is, is from a plant. It's not from oil. Okay. So, um, and look, the wetsuit, the surf industry has got a long way to go before they get, because uh, neoprene is not recycled. It's thrown away. Okay, cool. On that, on that somewhat sad note, we thank you very much, Dr. Surf, for sharing your thoughts with us on the wetsuits and uh, look forward to getting you back in the studio before too long. Uh, no we're going to go to a track now and then I'm going to get Justin Chalker on the phone who's going to be talking... We mentioned oils just then and Justin's going to be talking about an oil sponge uh, in, about, in a few minutes. We've talked a lot on this show, indeed we just did before, about international shipping and one of the byproducts, one of the bad things about international shipping is that sometimes they run aground and we get massive oil spills or we get people drilling in places like the Gulf of Mexico and things go awry and we get massive leaks of oil into the ocean, as happened with the Deepwater Horizon back in 2010. How do we clean this up? Uh, Well, there's been some very exciting research which has come out of Flinders University by Justin Chalker and his crew, which was published just this week. And we're lucky enough right now to have Justin, the person who did that work or led that research, on the phone with us now. Good morning, Justin. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. I read with great interest um, a little piece on the research that you'd done. I've got to admit I didn't find it myself. It was The Guardian that led me to this, but they are rejoicing in the fact that this might be potentially something which can help us to improve the way we clean up oil spills. I wonder if you could just take us through the very basics of what you and your team have discovered. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, So first of all, our research group is interested in identifying new ways to take waste products, things that we're not normally using, and making useful materials from them, materials that can benefit the environment and human health. And in this project in particular, we're taking waste cooking oil and sulfur which is a byproduct of the petroleum industry, and we react them together to make a new type of rubber that cleans up oil spills. So we're taking waste from one industry and converting it into a material that can capture oil pollution that also is linked to that same sector. This sounds now, like this material. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry. This this sounds like a perfect circle. It's beautiful. Where, where you're taking the waste product and you're using it to generate something, which is then going to clean up something from that industry itself. 
Yeah, that's absolutely right. So we think those are two intriguing aspects to this entire research project. And of course, the, the end use cleaning up oil spills is our, is our primary focus right now. And you said that sulfur is a byproduct of the petroleum industry. So is this something, so in the refining of crude oil to give us petrol and um, aviation fuel, is sulfur something which is a discard from that? Uh, that's correct. So it's important that we actually remove sulfur from crude oil in the refining process because that prevents uh, SO2 production, sulfur dioxide, when you burn petrol and diesel, and that uh, prevents the formation of acid rain. So it's a good thing that we're desulfurizing crude oil. But the issue is that we're making up to 90 million tons of sulfur every year, and some of it is used to produce sulfuric acid, a commodity chemical. But a lot of this sulfur is just stockpiled in above-ground de deposits all across the globe. So we have millions of tons of this material ready and waiting to be used. That's it's fantastic that you can now use this. You've obviously been doing this in, I would imagine at the moment, in small-scale experiments in the lab at, at Flinders Uni. What, what's the potential for, for scaling this up? Yeah, so that's, that's absolutely right. So it's still early days in this study, and we're working on uh, lab scales. So this is low kilogram quantities of polymer, which for an academic lab is, is actually substantial. Yeah. And we are testing it directly on crude oil that's obtained directly from uh, wellheads. So we're using true field samples. It's not a, a simulated uh, uh, oil, oil sample. We're actually using the real stuff that you would encounter in the field. And like you said, the next stage, something that we'll work on over the next year, is to solve two problems. One is to upscale the, the polymer synthesis to the multi-kilogram, hundreds of kilograms, maybe even the ton scale, so we can produce it on, on the level that's required for serious remediation efforts, and then at the same time, do field tests in the environments in which you would encounter these oil spills. Was, was this targeted research, Justin? Was it something where you, you set out with this, this end goal in mind to develop a sponge, or was it, as often happens with science, a serendipitous thing? So in this case, it's a little bit of both. Originally, like, we, like I said at the, the beginning of the interview, we were, we were primarily interested and rethinking where we source our building blocks and making useful materials. Yeah. And so the fact that we're using sulfur and waste cooking oil was, was an end in and of itself. We're actually using these waste materials to make an entirely new polymer. Now, once we had made this polymer, we looked at its different chemical and physical properties, and then we can identify in which applications it might be useful. So it's curiosity-driven research at the outset, but once we have a new material, we can find targeted ways in which it might be useful. And the first application that we used this, this polymer for was actually to capture heavy metals, to capture mercury. So this polymer is actually multifunctional. We can actually use it to capture diverse forms of mercury pollution. And in this latest study, because the polymer has hydrophobic properties, it doesn't like to interact with water, and it does like to interact with oil, we gave it a go, and it turns out it's quite good at capturing crude oil as well. So, Justin, it's, it's John Ford here. Um, look, this sounds, this sounds really, really wonderful um, work that you're doing. What, um, what does it look like physically? So, what, what is, what, is, it, is, is, this a, is this a solid, is, say, is a sponge? What kind of, you know, is it like a sponge as we know? Is it more like a, a hardened foam? I mean, what is it, you know, how would it actually be applied in the field? Mm -hmm. So, we can prepare it in different forms. So, it looks and feels like a rubber. You can imagine a ground-up 
pencil eraser. It has a, the consistency of this material, and it is a, a porous solid, and it is elastic, so if you squish it in your hands, it can recoil back to its original shape. The way that we actually prepare it for most of our tests in oil spill remediation is as a powder. And when you add this powdered rubbery material to oil, it absorbs the oil upon contact and actually aggregates together and forms a gel. So you have the polymer and oil aggregating in a way so you can just simply scoop it out of, of, of the water. Mm -hmm. Alternatively, you can just pack these rubber particles, this powdered material in a filter and then pass the oil and water mixture through the polymer. The oil gets stuck on the surface of the polymer and the purified water passes through the filter. Right. And Justin, is there any way of then reusing that oil that you, catch, that you capture with the sponge? Could that then be refined so it's not just dumped? So one of the attractive features of our um, oil-absorbing polymer is that because it's this elastic sponge-like material, once you have that aggregate that's formed from the gel and the polymer, you can simply compress it and you can recover the oil, which you can then use and refine further, and you can reuse the polymer. That's, that's just ace. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Justin, this is fascinating. Um, I'd love to talk more about this and I'd really like to get you back on air in a couple of months' time to, to talk through this and perhaps the advances and see how far it's gone with, with ramping it up. But for the moment, yeah, we, have to, we have to make way for um, another radio show, which is coming on in a couple of minutes. So, um, Justin Chalker from Flinders University in South Australia, we thank you very much for sharing um, my pleasure. your work with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much. See you, Justin. Bye. Bye. Um, yeah, that was Justin Chalker talking about a fascinating thing. We have to wrap up this show. Yeah. Soon. I just want to say that, that, you know, that sounds fantastic, sealing that loop of, you know, using the waste... You know, so solving an environmental problem of waste, all in the same. Yeah, fantastic. I think, you know, they're doing some really great work over there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's ice. Um, yeah. Um, we're going to leave this fair studio very soon, but um, and we're going to go out with our theme song, of course, as we usually do. But while we're doing that, if anybody is interested, and I'm sure everybody out there will be interested in coming to Einstein and GoGo next week, we have a live to air. This is celebrating Amni Amnesty. I was about to say Amnesty International, but uh, April Amnesty. Uh, so we have four double passes if anyone is interested in hearing um, Dr. Shane talk to Professor Ashley Bush. Um, and Ashley Bush is a famous, is a well-known Alzheimer's disease researcher and brain researcher in general. So get on the blower if you're interested in coming to that. We have four giveaways. But for now, I will say bye-bye. I have been Dr. Beach and I've been joined by Don John Ford. Thank you very much, John. Thank you. John for being here. And thanks very much to Kent for panelling. Um, and thanks to our guests, Justin Chalker and, of course, Dr. Surf with his annual wetsuit review. Next week in the studio, it's going to be Bron Burton back with Dr. Beach. Bye-bye. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R Sponsors. This has been a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.